we all get stuck in what we should do or what we should have done. The word should can inspire us and it can inhibit us. It can get us moving and it can hold us back. Why is it so hard to move past complacency and get inspired to build the fulfilling future that we want? You are listening to Should Theory. Let's talk it out. Stories, interviews, and more to inform and inspire you towards building the future that you want. Get motivated, figure out how you want to shift, and then get your shift together. I'm Tara Grebe. Let's do this with the Should Theory. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Should Theory. I'm your host, Tara Grebe, and today I am with Nancy Norbeck, once again, sharing her own story of feeling challenged, feeling like she needed to change, and moving on to forge her own path towards happiness, success, fulfillment, fulfillment, all the things. Nancy, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm very good. I am very glad that you're here. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a master certified Kaizen Muse creativity coach, and that came after many other different career options, including tech support, teaching, and going to get an MFA, mm. all of which I'm sure we're going to be talking about shortly. Yeah. Um, and I also host a podcast called Follow Your Curiosity, where I talk to people about their creative journeys, how they got started, what they've learned. You know, we kind of go wherever the conversation takes us, but it's been fascinating to get to talk to people. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I have listened to your podcast. I enjoy it very much. And uh, I love hearing what it is that people feel inspired to do and, you know, some for hobby and some for life change and fulfillment. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you were backtrack somewhere in the world of tech teaching MFA <laughs> where, you know, the, I'm doing all these things and none of them are fitting. Sure. So it's funny in terms of none of them are fitting because everybody told me when I was an undergrad, oh, you like to write and you like computers. You should be a technical writer. <laughs> nothing know, about if... that sounds fun. I know nothing about it, but I'm just <laughs> going to tell you right now. Nothing about that sounds fun. Like as if A plus B must equal C, mm -hmm. you know? Right. And and I so I did that for a while. I, I worked in tech support in college and kept doing it afterwards. And I did a little bit of technical writing. And yeah, it it was not really as much fun as people implied mm -hmm. that it should be. Though I did learn to write very, very clearly. Well, great. <laughs> and I had heard a lot of people say technical writing was like the best thing I ever did for my writing. And, and so I can, I can see that part. But anyway, then after that, I did official tech support, not just tech writing. And I decided I really wanted to use my English degree. So I got a job teaching which was teaching tech classes. Ah. And then that morphed into teaching English as a second language, which mm -hmm. was much more aligned with where I wanted to be. And I did right. that for six years and absolutely enjoyed it. Learned so much from my students who were from all over the world. And, and yet I started to feel a little bit burned out at the same time that I went and I got my MFA in creative writing. So that was my last two years of teaching. 
because I had rediscovered my love for words and writing a couple years before, and I felt like I had taken it as far as I could. So I went and I did Goddard College's MFA program, which mm. was fantastic. And, you know, I got to spend two years, even though it was low residency, in the company of really, really creative people, really diverse people who were all writing all sorts of different things. And it was fabulous. And I kept wanting to do more of that with my students. There was a belief, at least within my school, that ESL kids couldn't do creative writing, mm -hmm. which is nuts right yeah. on its face. Of course they can. Right. Come on. Um, so I got to play around with a little bit of that. And, and then just as I finished my degree, my teaching job went away. Ah. The school decided it did not want to have as robust an ESL program anymore. And that was that. So I took a job back in the regular world of cubicles and window offices. And, mm -hmm. and it didn't take very long before it was very, very clear that this was just not where I was supposed to be. Right. And I tried to deny it for a while, as I suspect a lot of us do. I think we you know, do. It was like, I need to give it more time. I need to give it more time. It's going to be okay. I need to give it more time. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and within six or seven months, it was like, okay, I cannot lie to myself about this anymore. This is not going to be okay. This is not where I'm supposed to be. There is nothing about being here that I am enjoying that has anything to do with the actual job. Right. And I just happened like in in that first seven eight month period to take a workshop on a an intuitive art process called soul collage mm -hmm. and i was fascinated by it you you take images from magazines calendars old family photos whatever you have on hand if you're an artist you can draw your own images you can you know as long right. as it's an image it's fair game and you use them to make these large collage cards and then there's a whole process of using them to access your intuition. Okay. Because the theory is that, you know, your intuition speaks to you through images in ways that it doesn't in other places. And that following January, in an email newsletter about Soul Collage, I saw a listing for a creativity workshop. And I clicked through on that, and I discovered Kaizen Muse Coaching. Ah. And as soon as I looked at the page, I just thought, oh, my God, I found my people. I finally <laughs> found my people. And, you know, because I was really missing the interaction of teaching and being able to see the person that I was helping and see the impact that I was having and also see the impact that they were having on me. Right, you know, I mean, right. you, you know, it mm -hmm. goes both ways. If you're not learning from your students, you're doing it wrong. Absolutely. And. And so I, I just kind of looked at this and I thought, hmm, coaching sounds like all the best parts of teaching without things like parents and grade books. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> right? I mean, I was just, and, and I taught in a private school where grading was not just keeping the grade book, but it was having to write, you know, a couple paragraphs about each kid yeah. every quarter. And I thought, wow could do all that you know all the good stuff without having to deal with the bureaucracy mm -hmm. so I told myself that I needed to think about it for about five days by the end of that week I had signed up okay and it was 
it was the most fascinating training I've ever taken in my life. Awesome. It was just, you know, all of these amazing things about how your brain works. The idea that, you know, people think that their creative block is the only creative block like it that has ever happened in the history of time mm -hmm. and that they're weird and there's something wrong with them because they got stuck. When the actual fact is, I can pretty much chart out for you what the blocks are that people are going to hit. I can't necessarily say you are going to hit them in this order right. and that person is going to hit them in that order. They come up in different times and places. Mm -hmm. But really, I don't think there are very many creative blocks that we haven't identified and figured out how to work with. Well, you know, and I think what's interesting about what you just said is, is you know, everybody's going to come up against them and yet everybody at some point feels like, I'm the only person who feels like this. No one yeah. has ever felt like I feel right now. And no one can know I feel this way right now because it's embarrassing that I'm not right. satisfied or that I'm stuck or whatever. And that's what keeps people stuck. Yep. Because they have no idea that it's actually perfectly normal, mm -hmm. that people have figured out how to get around this stuff, and that there's help. Not only and normal, so, prevalent. I would argue yes. it's prevalent. Absolutely prevalent. Mm -hmm. And so they put their manuscript or their painting or whatever in the closet, in the drawer, and assume that they just aren't a painter or a writer or a dancer or whatever it is they're trying right. to do when they probably are. And they've just convinced themselves that it's not for them because they got stuck. Right. It's well, heartbreaking, really. It is. And, and I would say even more heartbreaking, you know, to your point that you can't see a beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I try to talk a lot, both in my interviews on the podcast and the little shorter pep talk episodes that I've started and on places like Instagram and TikTok. I really try to reinforce the idea that no, 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 everybody has this. It's not just you. Right. It's not like there's something that's you know, horribly, horribly wrong with you and your job in life is to make widgets forever and there's nothing else. You know, and I, you. here's another thing, talking about making widgets, you just made me think of when you said it. Um, I remember talking to someone a few years back who um, was having some, some difficulty in their job, had gotten a bad evaluation and was really struggling with it and said something to the effect of, you're not supposed to like your job. Your job is what you do so that you can make money to go enjoy your life, you know? And, and so it's okay if I don't enjoy it. And when, when did we get that memo? <laughs> we all I have it, that. right? We all have it. When yeah. did we get that memo? We, we all do. And I have heard it even, you know, from relatives, like they call it work for a reason. Like, what's that supposed right, to mean? Right, right. I mean, that's basically saying to me, I am totally okay with you being miserable for the rest of your life. As long as you make good money and have good benefits. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, people say it because we've heard it so often. You know, I don't think it's malicious. Yeah. It's just that they're trying to say, don't worry about it. This is normal. I'm like, when, like you said, when did this become normal? Right, or we all feel that way, you know? Welcome to the club, friend. <laughs> You know, yeah, and, and how dare you find a way out? Right, that's mm -hmm. the thing. I want to say, welcome to the club. Let's all, you know, 
let's stop calling it a club. Let's right. stop normalizing let's this idea that we should all be miserable for our entire working lives. <laughs> and the, the prize for surviving it without having a heart attack, you know, dying of, of any number of things that stress can give you right. is you can finally do the thing you love. I heard that the whole time I was growing up and I always, even like, you know, when I was in middle school, I thought, but you might not live that long. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're putting your entire life on hold for a day that you might not ever actually see. Yeah. That has never made sense to me. I haven't talked about this um, on a podcast, on one of these episodes yet, but given that you said it, um, my father was a teacher. He had cancer and he passed away at the age of 50 from his cancer, which means, you know, he, he worked until medically he just couldn't do it anymore. And then he passed away. He never got to, I don't want to say he didn't enjoy his life because he did, but he didn't get to that place that everybody works for, you know, to earn the pension, to earn the right, you know, put enough time in on the clock to be able to go without penalty in whatever corporation that you're in. And especially, you know, 30 some odd years ago where that was the norm across mm -hmm. the board, you know, and, and I, I think about him all the time. He just, you know, he had, he had nights and weekends, he had his summers, but he didn't have that, I don't know, completion where you right. get the permission to go and enjoy life. And so why not find a way to enjoy life and work? Right. I'm interrupting this awesome episode because I have to bring out something that I think we've all felt, that I have felt, and it's that gut feeling that something in your life is missing, that there's got to be something else out there for you, and guess what? It is so hard to ignore. We tell ourselves, I shouldn't shift, I should be happy with what I have, and generally, there are signs showing us that a major change is needed in our life but we talk ourselves into ignoring them. Here's the thing, those feelings are gonna keep showing up over and over in different ways until you get the guts to pay attention to them and decide to make a shift. And once you make that decision, people need support to shift. They need confidence, they need clarity. I did, and I would love to support you so that you can do the same. Right now, I have two amazing options of Get Your Shift Together to help you get the confidence, the clarity, and the direction that you need to make that shift in your life that your gut is telling you it's time to make. And if you want to know more about them, you have to go to taragreeve.com or message me on the Should Theory with Tara Grieve Facebook page and we will get you moving to the shift that you know it's time for you to make. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, and, and permission, I think, is such a huge piece of that because I'm sure that everyone that I grew up around had heard the same thing as kids and they all thought this is what you have to do. Yep. You know, you think of, I can't remember which old movie it was, but it probably doesn't matter because it's probably yeah, a it's lot the same of them, you know, yeah. where, you know, you see these guys who would go into work every day, you know, like in the fifties and sit at their desk and do their thing and do it every day for their entire career. You know, back then when people didn't change jobs and just assumed that whatever they found was what was for them and the company was going to take care of them. And that was it. And longevity was rewarded. Right. Yeah. But, you know, like just to use a personal example, the cruel irony of growing up with that whole, you know, put everything on hold until your retired attitude 
my dad now has a degenerative muscle condition, can't get around like he used to. Yeah. He's not in a scooter yet, but he will be eventually. And he's in that And time. so all of the traveling and all of that stuff, you know, and I don't even know what all it was because I wasn't in right. his head, but I know that, you know, it was like you do this and then you can do all of those things. Right. And I kind of look now and think, it didn't quite work out the way that you thought it would. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's cruel. It's terrible. Yeah. But it has inspired me to say, you know what? I'm not going to wait until I'm older and I'm retired to go to New Zealand and Australia for a month. I'm doing it now while I know I still can. That's awesome. And I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it, which I did. And, you know, and the interesting thing was when I told them about it, nobody argued with me. You know, I, I was going to ask they you knew. that. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. So here you were, you know, MFA, jobs that fit the mold. And now all of a sudden you're doing this training and saying, I want to be a coach, which P.S. doesn't guarantee you're going to have clients. It just, nope. you know, it means you're going to do this thing. And, and hopefully if you build it, they will come. Um, so how did your family react to the decision? You know, I don't think I really announced the coaching decision so much. <laughs> I did announce the going to Australia and New Zealand for a month thing because that was sort of harder not to tell sure. anybody about. Harder to keep that one secret. But, you know, I, I mean, I did when I officially started Follow Your Curiosity two and a half years ago, I did send an email to everyone. And, and I got mixed responses. I got no response from mm -hmm. some people. I got hey, this sounds fabulous from other people. It was really, you know, I don't really remember anybody saying, this is a terrible idea. What are you thinking? Right. You know, stick with your day gig forever and ever. Amen. But, but yeah, it was very interesting because there were definitely people who did not reply at all. And I think they probably just didn't know what to say because it's far enough outside of what most people do. Mm-hmm. You know, that some of them probably thought, wow, that's amazing. I wish I could do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, other people probably thought that as, wow, that's amazing. I wish I could do that. I yeah. mean, it could be exactly the same words, yeah. but the enthusiasm level is very different exactly. depending on how you view it. So, so yeah, I mean, I did not get, you know, this great pile of pushback. That's a good Though, thing. Though, I did send my parents a slightly different version of the email that said, don't panic. I am not quitting my day job yet. Ah. And, and so that, you know, may have taken care of it. I didn't want them to just completely wig out and think, oh my God, she's going to be she's on lost her for the rest of her life. Yeah. And she's completely lost it. And we always knew she was weird, but now we know for sure she's just uncurably, <laughs> uncurably weird. weird and unemployed. <laughs> So, right. <laughs> so you made this decision, you did the coaching, you decided, to use my words, you decided to, to build a bridge instead of take a leap of faith. You know, mm -hmm. you just said you decided to keep your day job. So tell me about how you made the, the transition and, and just what that process was. If you had any moments where you went, oh, it's, you know, it's not working the way I want it to. You know, you've been doing the podcast now for two and a half years. So I guess... Now, the vision that you had of this coaching sounds like my dream thing. I'm going to start this podcast. I'm going to go where I want to go when I can go, you know, when the, when the mood strikes me. So you're ready to make that transition. Did you have moments? Have you had moments 
where you just say, I got to go back to the traditional, it's easier, or something of that wheelhouse? Yeah, I mean, I I still have my day job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it is an interesting process. The The podcast has had a life of its own mm -hmm. in a way that coaching typically hasn't for me. I mean, I took the original coach training in 2011. Okay. And, you know, it's kind of been an adjunct to what I do all day. Right. Rather, because like you said, there is no guarantee that clients will come. Right. Figuring that that art of connecting with people and finding clients is, you know, I in 2011, when I got certified, I set up a website and I was so naive that I really did think it was like Field of Dreams. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to put up this website and they will magically appear. Yeah. It does not work like that. Yeah. Or you, you put out a, an announcement, hey, I have this thing going on. Nothing. Nobody. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. But, but the podcast in particular has been fascinating for me to watch because I have never, I really have to think back and even now my memory of it is really fuzzy to find a time when I was worried about having somebody to put on the podcast. Mm. And I released mine uh, when I started and was just doing interviews. I decided that the only sane way to do it was to release them every other week because I need time to have a life. Right. And I still do interviews every other week. And the pep talks now are alternating weeks. And mm -hmm. I'm toying with the idea of, you know, throwing a couple other things in there just for fun and to see what happens. But, you know, I, I know that there were a couple of times where I was like, I've only got one episode in waiting and I don't know who's coming after that. Yeah. And, and somehow someone has always appeared. I mean, I started this thing really only knowing what I had heard other people do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I reversed engineered a lot of it. Right. From the way that I put it together to, you know, and when I, when I first did it, when I, I started releasing episodes in January of 2019 and I had a bunch of interviews, like at least six or seven, I would guess mm -hmm. that I had recorded in the previous year. And I feel like this is a moment to just put in a pitch for don't wait to have all the stuff you think you need to have to do something. Like I am coming to you from my closet. I literally just last night posted a, on TikTok a a video about my studio because <laughs> if I had waited to have a real normal place what I call fancy because this is not studio I wouldn't have a podcast right and instead I've been doing this for two and a half years right well and as you know I'm at my dining room table yep <laughs> right yep and and literally the first interview that I recorded for this podcast I recorded on my iPad in a hotel room yeah, because I had a willing guest who had some name recognition and I was, I was at a doctor who convention, Okay, you know, and I had struck up a conversation with one of the writers and just threw it out there. Cause I thought, what the heck, the worst that can happen is he says no. Yeah. He didn't say no. That's awesome. And this is what I had with me. I didn't even have a mic or anything like that yet. So it was 
it was literally just a brainchild and the yeah. opportunity presented itself and I ran with it. And so, you know, if you want to try something, just run with what you have. Absolutely. You know, you don't need the fancy stuff. Just do it. Don't wait around. Just do it. Because in the last two and a half years, I have gotten to talk to some of the most fascinating people. And it would not have happened if I hadn't just taken that leap that day and said, hey, you want to do this? It's it's one of those moments, actually, that I was thinking of earlier, knowing that I was going to be talking to you right. in terms of should, because a lot of people would say, oh, this guy, like, he's he's a person, and I'm just little old me, and I don't even know what I'm going to call this podcast yet, so I can't even tell him what it's called. And why would he say, yes, I should just stay in my lane and not do this? Yeah. And yet he did. And yet, here we are. And And I've had a couple other people that I was like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, agree. You know? Either I've made the opportunity happen by sending an email to an author and saying, hey, you know, I really, really loved your book. I think you'd be a fabulous guest on my podcast. Would you be interested? Right. Or literally a moment at a convention where somebody says to someone on stage, you should do a podcast. And I'm sitting there thinking, hi, I have a podcast. <laughs> and wandered up at the end going, Paul McGann is probably not going to say yes, but hey, it's just like Rob Shearman all over again. What's the worst that can happen? And that's how I ended up interviewing, you know, the eighth Doctor Who on my podcast last yeah. year because he didn't say no. You just don't know. When the opportunity presents itself, grab it. And what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Yeah. The worst that can happen is they say no and you walk out the door with absolutely nothing less than you walked in with. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know that you asked. I knew on both of those occasions, I knew that if I left those events without asking, I would kick myself for the rest of my life because I wouldn't know what would have happened. Yeah. Don't do that to yourself. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, you know, I've said before, put it up messy. It's better than not putting it up at all. Yes. Um, and done is better than perfect. Done is better than perfect. And um, I think that having the courage to just put yourself out there is huge. And I think it's hard for a lot of people, but I think that every time that I've heard someone say that they did it, even if they got the answer, no, they had a sense of accomplishment and courage that they had the guts to try. Absolutely. You know, and I've even seen it go so far as, oh, you're going to quit your job and go for a different one. What's the worst that can happen? You can always find another job. And to some people, going back to what we were talking about earlier, no, I can't. I have this whole package, traditional, longevity, all the things. I can't go back to that. I will have left, you know? Right. Um, I, I've been in situations where we've had a teacher leave. Um, they, they try on their new position and go, did you fill my old job yet? It wasn't what I thought I was and come back, mm -hmm. you know, um, we all get taught no backseats when we're kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and it may not be the exact same, same thing that you go back to, but you can find a different thing mm -hmm. and that's the key. And I think, you know, that whole idea that I can't leave this thing that I have, that I was always told that I was supposed to have, and yeah. I have security here, right? I just came across a Helen Keller quote recently that said, you know, security is largely a superstition. Yes. If 2020 taught us nothing else, 
it should be that. Yeah, I agree. You know, all of these people who thought that they had security, they thought they had a job that would always be there. That job could always have ended at any moment. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't happen to. So we have this illusion that we cling to, but it's not really real. And I would argue security and uh, I I don't know if I want to use comfort or consistency creates false Mm -hmm. security. You know, everybody says, you you know, yeah, doing the right thing and making that change is uncomfortable because growth comes from a place of discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. So tell you talked a little bit about uh, your podcast, which, again, I I recommend everybody check out. Um, I have really enjoyed it. And it was actually your podcast was one of the ones that I listened to going, I would like to do that someday. So, Oh, that's fantastic. It's a true story. It's a true story. Um, (laughs) That's the best compliment you could possibly give it. It's a true story. And so um, I guess let's talk about now, reflecting back, you know, you you tried those things. You do still have your your day job. So talk a little bit about that and how you're finding that balance between doing what you need to do for you, what works for you, to pay the bills or whatever it is that you Mm -hmm. need to do and yet finding a way to keep yourself fulfilled in addition to that because it doesn't always have to be an either or right right um it's it's very interesting that you know I I actually started to say but I don't think I got there when I first started talking about the podcast when I said it has a life of its own Mm -hmm. you know I I realized that last summer and it's like I think that, you know, regardless of whatever else happens, I'm hanging on to that, mm-hmm. you know, like I kind of picture it in my head, like grabbing the tail of the kite yeah. and just hanging on to see where you end mm-hmm. up. And, and the irony is that in the last two and a half years, I have ended up being the person at work who writes the staff profiles oh. for our internal website. So it's been really interesting to kind of watch them inform each other. And, you know, it's actually the most fun part of my job is doing those interviews because I always get to know somebody, even if it's somebody that I already felt like I knew pretty well, you know, maybe we'd gone to lunch with a couple of times. There's always something that comes up that surprises and fascinates me about that person. Which, you know, one of the things that I try to do with the podcast is to highlight people that are just like you and me, mm-hmm. you know, that are not the I'm Super. the eighth Doctor Who. Yeah. You know? I mean, don't get me wrong. That was fantastic. And I love talking to people like that, too. But I want to remind people that everybody can find a way to do their creative stuff. You know, you don't have to be on TV or have a record deal mm-hmm. or be published in National Geographic in order to do the things that you love to do. Yes. And, you know, I mean, I've found people who are off doing musicals in their spare time Mm -hmm. that nobody ever knew because they come in and they do their day job and you don't see that stuff. Right, You know, and so it's, sometimes it is a little bit challenging to remember which one I'm interviewing people for. Right, right. (laughs) But, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, that overlap that just fascinates me and and it is it's like that thing that's like please don't ever take this part away from me because this part I really 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 love but also you know it's making those connections with interesting people and hearing that you know they started out just like everybody else yeah 
And that is really inspiring to say, you know what? I haven't kept up with my singing, you know, and people who have listened to the podcast will know that I've had a really, really nasty case of stage fright since I was about five years old. Okay. And so, you know, in the past year, I've discovered that you can sing duets on TikTok, which is surprisingly okay with me. It doesn't bring up that kind of stage fright. It's just this casual, fun thing. And when I started playing with that back in January, it led me to say, you know what? I'm going to start taking voice lessons again. You know, I've sung in choirs over the years, but I haven't had lessons in decades. Right. And so it was like, hey, this is cool. I can do this. This is worth it. I found a great teacher. Love her to bits. And, you know, I do a lesson every other week. Mm -hmm. It's not like I am you know, treating it like I'm going to go perform at the Met next year. Right. So it's not, you know, all day. It's not all encompassing, but you just fit it in. Yep. It's finding those things. And and I think it's important to highlight this because I think so many of my episodes talk about major life shifts where it's, I gave up this because I knew I needed to do that, or I stopped being this because I felt inside I was that. And it's, it's more of a, uh, large transition uh, that we tend to talk about. But I really enjoy what you're talking about, which is, you know, I'm keeping this thing that I'm doing, you know, that I do uh, for whatever reason, and the reason really doesn't matter. But I knew there was a hole and I filled the hole with this. And and that is a key thing for people to hear, which is you may not need to do a complete overhaul and remodel. You just may need to fill in the gaps. Yeah. And I I feel like having the podcast in particular has sustained me in ways over the last two and a half years that I could never have predicted. That's awesome. It's every episode, and you may feel this way too because you do the same thing. You know, every episode is a little adventure. You're never exactly sure where it's going to go. You don't You're, know. I'm, I am never sure what I'm going to hear, what fascinating detour we're going to end up on. Yep. It, you know, it, it, it can go anywhere. So it's this little, you know, hour or so mm-hmm. that's almost like getting on a plane and saying, take me anywhere. Don't tell me where I'm going. Right. Just take me somewhere and dump me for an hour and, and we'll see what happens. Absolutely. And I just, I find that so exhilarating as a process Yes. in addition to the product, which is another thing that I think people get hung up on when they want to do something creative, whether it's in order to fill that hole or as a career or whatever, they focus so much on the product. Don't get me wrong. The product is great. It's fabulous to be able to say, I have two and a half years of a podcast and look at all of these cool people that I've gotten to talk to. And God bless them. A lot of them hook me up with other cool people, which is amazing. But the process of doing it is also part of what feeds you. And if you ignore the process and you just focus on the product, you're going to miss at least half of the fun of it. Oh my gosh. That's so so valid. So valid. I think that um, I think that so many people focus on the product because they have to get to that. You know, I have to get to that retirement age. I have to get to this amount of money. I have to have the right studio before I can start, yes. you know, doing the thing, whatever the thing is. Um, and so right. they, they feel that they can't do X, Y, Z. Um, I think there's going to be some ancillary background noise I can tell. Um, you know, they, they're so nervous about, about having all of the things ready or getting to that target 
that they miss the ride. Yeah. And one of the best ways to do that that I have seen people do, and it breaks my heart in so many places, it also just makes me want to start screaming, is that they will get so hung up on the idea of using whatever product they eventually churn out Mm -hmm. as a way to make money that they end up creating for a potential audience that doesn't necessarily exist yet anywhere except in their own heads. And usually what that does is limit their ability to create something that's true to them, which is what will connect with that audience that they're trying to find so much better than saying, oh, I think people want this. So this is what I'm going to create. And it's only going to be like this. I'm not going to go out of this box. I'm just going to say this is marketable. And the thing I really want to make I'm either not going to make or I'm going to do it occasionally just for myself, but I'm never going to try to sell it or anything because it's too weird. I promise you it's not too weird. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I have seen a friend of mine loves all sorts of weird little monstery kinds of characters. I have seen some things that she's bought that, you know, a lot of people would not look at as something that people can buy. And yet that artist has stayed true to themselves and, you know, sells out as soon as they put things on sale as a result. Right. Right. So I really encourage people like, sure, it's fine to make money with your stuff, but don't create it with that in mind, create it for yourself and let it find its audience rather than trying to force it into one category or another. It'll work so much better. You'll make better stuff and you'll be so much happier. Absolutely. So, um, I I'm coming now to the point where I like to throw my questions out. Um, what would you say, for you is, uh, since it's should theory, a negative should that with your podcast or any of the parts of your adventure, would you say that that still loom and come out for you that make you second guess or hesitate in your process still today? Hmm. Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> If I could broaden it a little bit, it kind of goes with what I was just saying. It's, you know, comparison, comparing yourself to other people. And I know I said I reverse engineered a lot of what Mm -hmm. I put together to figure out how to do a podcast, but it's, that was more like, this is how a podcast works and how it could work, you know, but you know, my, my interviews are really, really free form. Mm -hmm. I don't try to set up the structure of an interview in any particular way Mm -hmm. because I actually discovered by accident when I ran out of questions for a guest that it was so much more interesting (laughs) when I actually, what a concept, paid attention to what they were saying and went back and forth, which I was doing a little bit anyway, but not as much as I could have, rather than focusing on this preordained list of questions that I had. Um, and sometimes I find myself thinking, you know, like when I do the pep talk episodes, they're just off the cuff for, say, six or seven minutes. I don't edit them. I don't do any of that kind of stuff with them. And sometimes I'll think to myself, maybe, maybe I shouldn't. I'm like, no, that's the whole point. They're yeah. off the cuff. They're easy. And they go where they go. I don't script them. None of that. And other people might. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. They can do that. But comparison, I think, is where a whole lot of should comes from because you're looking at other people and saying, oh, I should be doing that. Yeah. I should be doing this. Well, you know, it's okay to do it your own way. But I still, you know, I, I fight that battle with myself a lot. Right. 
you know, I should make this more perfect. I should go back and edit all of this thing out, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, yeah. And I could spend the next six hours of my life doing that and drive myself crazy and done is better than perfect. So, you know, I will decide these are things that I will edit out of a podcast. These are things that I'm not touching. Well, it goes on to some of the things that have happened even while we're talking, you know, you're Mm -hmm. in a closet, I'm in my dining room. Sometimes there's noises (laughs) in the background, but you know, I think what I like for this podcast to be is an example of how you can do the things that you enjoy in your regular life without the fancy things, you know, still sound good, um, but be real, you know? Yeah. And there's also the idea that, you know, I get to put the word master coach in front of my name. Doesn't that mean I should have all the answers? I don't necessarily have all the answers. It's not going to be perfect. Right. And yet, yeah, that, that kind of pressure definitely comes up and it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's a, it's a process. I don't think any of that stuff necessarily reaches a destination. No, I don't think, I don't think you're somebody like, (laughs) right, right. So, uh, on the other half of that, what would you say is the positive, uh, should that keeps you motivated? I think it's really just the idea that you should do your best, which is not the same as aiming for perfection. It's just do what you can reasonably do. You know, it's great to have high expectations for yourself, but super high expectations can make you crazy and make you stop. So, you know, keep it, keep it real, keep it human. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, you know, just, just let it, sometimes you got to let things be what they want to be and not try to dictate all of these things according to some like a preconceived imagined notion. ideal yeah. that might not even really exist anywhere except in your own head. You know, we tell ourselves all these crazy things about what we should and shouldn't do, how things should and shouldn't be. Maybe just see what it wants to be right. before deciding that, no, this isn't perfect enough or this needs to be changed. Because mm-hmm. sometimes the imperfect things are what makes something amazing. Mm. That is so true. Um, what advice would you give to tech writer Nancy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think the advice that I would give myself at that age mostly boils down to remember who you've always wanted to be Mm. because I'll tell you when I was five years old I was not dreaming of being a tech writer right you know and granted when I was five years old I don't think I knew that tech writing existed you probably didn't hear somebody (laughs) listening to this saying well of course you didn't right but you know we all we all when we were little kids before the world started telling us what we could and couldn't do what we should and shouldn't do Mm -hmm. all of that stuff we all knew what lit us up and what we really really wanted to do and then we try so hard to fit ourselves into other people's molds whatever that may look like you know varies from family to family place to place and we lose track of who that kid was And I mean, it could be that when you were five, all you wanted to do was build stuff with Lego all day. Yeah. And at 35, you don't really 
care anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It could be. I'll bet right, you there's some evolve. part of that 35-year-old that still Wants would love to Lego. sit down and have an excuse to play with Lego. That's right. But, you know, it could mean that you really want to build things, you know, that you want to, like, work in construction or be an architect or something like that. And you thought that Lego just meant this and couldn't be anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of gold in that stuff that we always really wanted to be when we were kids that we forget about. Sometimes we forget about it completely right. or we think it doesn't matter. And it's it's worth going back and putting yourself in that mindset and mining that gold and seeing what comes out of it. I love that. Um, so on the same vein, what is the best advice you have ever gotten that you still heed today? Oh, <laughs> or one of the best doesn't have to be the very best if there's many. <laughs> so hard. Well, you know what? I feel like it's a little bit like cheating because I sort of mentioned it earlier. That's all right. But it's not cheating. My mother was the one who first told me. What's the worst can, that can happen if you ask somebody for something? You know, it's it, she's the one who said, you walk out with nothing less than you already had. I love that. And, you know, I I called her, you know, after the Paul McGann thing happened. I'm like, I just want you to know that this happened because of you. Mm. Oh, you I know? bet she loved I, that. I think she, you know, said it to me multiple times. I don't remember one particular instance. But it definitely gave me a perspective that I don't think I would have had any other way. I think I could have been sitting in that room like so many other people could have yeah. been thinking, I can't go ask that. I'm fangirling. I can't talk to them. Yeah. Right. I can't go do that. I mean, and this is even at a very accessible con, but I'm sure that uh, there could have been plenty of other people who sat in that room going, you can't go ask somebody that. That's just way out of line. It's too much. It's too whatever. Well, I didn't want to kick myself for the rest of my life. So yeah, you did I it. I went and asked. You did it. No regrets. So, yeah. Nancy, knowing that we've been talking now for quite a while, and I feel like we probably could for at least two more episodes, <laughs> um, <laughs> where where can people um, find For Your Curiosity or you in general? If they want to hear your TikTok so- duets, for example. <laughs> <laughs> So most of my online things are named FY Curiosity, short for follow your curiosity in one permutation or another. Twitter and Facebook are FY Curiosity pod. Okay. But Instagram is FY Curiosity. TikTok is FY Curiosity. Um, And my website is FYCuriosity.com. Love it. And the podcast is follow your curiosity. It's on all of you know, Apple and all the things, um, what's it called? Overcast and podcatcher, whatever podcast app you use, you should be able to find it just fine. That is excellent. So, so yeah, I love it. I really, I really truly hope I feel like, uh, there's a lot of similarities in the genre of this show and your show in it's just Mm -hmm. about finding those things that fill your bucket and finding a way to do them. Um, and maybe learning new things that might possibly fill your bucket that you didn't even know you liked before. Or as you said, reawakening that Lego love from, from days of yore. Um, so I really hope that people um, will check out that podcast because, again, I think it's one of those things where if you like this book, you're going to love that book. If you like this podcast, yeah. you're going to love that podcast. Um, 
I like to recap some of the amazing things that have been said since we've been talking. So I just want to point out some of the very great things that you pointed out while we were talking. Uh, you talked about comparing yourself to others being a place where a lot of your shoulds come from and that feeling that uh, you should be more perfect or have all of the answers if for no other reason than the training that you have. And that, mm -hmm. you know, there's that honesty of understanding that we don't and that we don't have to be like him, like her, what they do, what it sounds like. Um, you mentioned that what my real quickie that you said, take that leap that day, do it. Whatever that thing is, just take that leap. Um, you said, if you want to try something, run with what you have, don't wait, which I think is great advice no matter what the something is. You talked about your positive motivator being doing your best, which is not the same as perfection. And a lot of us feel like it has to be and it doesn't. You said high expectations can stop you. Let it be what it wants to be. Um, the best advice that you would give to your old self was to remember who you've always wanted to be. And I would add, be true to that person because he mm -hmm. or she is in there looking to come out uh, or they looking to come out and uh, let them be, going back to your other thing. You also said the best advice that you ever got was from your mom that certainly helped you score one of your uh, famous podcast guests, which is, <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? What you walk out with is nothing less than what you went in with. You said some amazingly profound things in our conversation today. I did. I'm amazed. <laughs> You never know what'll come out. You never know but, what yeah. you have in you until it comes out of you. It's great. Exactly. <laughs> it's great. Exactly. Nancy, I have loved talking to you. I would love to have you back another time to just talk more about all the things. I would, I would love to come back. Excellent. Um, again, I hope that everybody checks out 40 FY Curiosity on your favorite podcast platform. Look for her on TikTok. I hear she sings some crazy duets. And <laughs> Nancy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you.